You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Hello, this is the Real Estate Law Podcast, episode number four. Welcome back. Welcome back. I feel like we just did episode number one. It's good to be back, though. (laughs) Well, we didn't really go anywhere. You know, this is just the continuation of an ongoing conversation about real estate laws, kind of how I see this. (laughs) You know, when you nod your head, the people that are listening can't really... Here to see that. Well, let's keep the conversation going then. Okay, we'll keep the conversation going. Well, my name is Jason Muth, and I'm Rory Gill, the owner broker of Next Home Title Town and attorney at Urban Village Legal. Okay, so um, we've talked about a number of topics so far, and today we're going to be talking about strengthening your offer. And you know, offering up on a property is uh, probably one of the most exciting things somebody can do. Uh, you have to figure out how much you're going to offer, when you're going to offer, uh, when you're going to offer. Um, but in some situations, when the market is really, really hot, what do you have to do? You have to bid high or bid well. And getting your offer rejected can be one of the most deflating things that can happen to you in the, the home buying process. So you have to know how to make your offer strong, even if you can't afford to just pay more and more. Right. So, you know, we're, we've been in that situation here in Boston for a number of years now. Uh, you know, it, it cooled down a little bit toward the end of, of 2018, but, you know, all signs are pointing toward uh, another strong 2019 so far. You know, we're, we're recording this podcast in February, so who knows what's going to happen. But, um, you know, it, it certainly doesn't hurt to act fast, act quickly, uh, act uh, as though you are a buyer that actually means business, and sometimes you actually have to put a couple things in that offer that will separate you from your competition. Right, and it takes a little bit more foresight and a little bit more planning to put together a strong offer. It's not just about price. Yeah, and, and you're, are you saying, Rory, that the the strong offers are most necessary in the markets where there's high volume, things are moving really fast, it's very competitive? Right, and in certain segments of the market too. So um, if you're in the lower um, part of the market here, things are going to go fast. The luxury tier takes a little bit longer, but if you're in, in a prime market and a prime segment of the market, there will be lots of competition for each property. So if it's marketed well, you're going to have to make a smart offer in order to be the one chosen. Right, right. So, you know, I, I look at uh, where my parents live. You know, I grew up outside New York City, and uh, and they're still there, and they live in a beautiful suburb of New York, and your parents are in a great suburb of Boston. And, you know, very similar. Like, kind of, they came up around the same time. Uh, they were built, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, and there's a lot of subdeveloping subdevelopments that happened uh, around that time, you know, where you basically choose from one or three or four different house styles in that subdevelopment. And, and you know, some of the property there probably doesn't move as quickly as what we're used to here in the city. 
That's correct, and that's the trend that we've seen in the past few years. But some of the things that we'll go over today apply to all markets. So even if you're in a market where it's not going quite as fast as it is right here, Mm -hmm. it's good to know how to make your offer stand out and be a little bit stronger than the rest. So you know, now being you are a a real estate attorney and a real estate broker, and we should say that you know your um, your law practice is Urban Village Legal. Yes, it is. And your brokerage uh, is called Next Home Title Town. Yes, both here in Boston. Both here in Boston. And, uh, you know, seeing it from both sets of eyes, you know, as an attorney and as a broker, um, you know, you might be able to offer something up uh, with a client you're working with as a buyer that might be a little bit different from what just, you know, your you know typical agent might be able to offer because you might have a little bit more insight into a situation uh, that you know might not be apparent to most people, right? I mean, you you want to take a look at your offer and you want to make it strong, but you also understand how to m- mitigate some risk and also understand what the loopholes are that you can benefit from. Okay, so you know, in in, in kind of my show notes right here, as we're preparing, uh, you know, what what we'd like to talk about with this topic, uh, you know, the the first thing that's on the list is to know the seller situation. So, you know, what what do you what do you mean by that? That's something that's often overlooked by people. And remember, the seller is another person involved in this transaction, and they have needs and preferences, too, that go beyond the price. Of course, as a seller, they're going to want to get the highest price possible. However, there's more to it than just that. It's worth asking the listing agent or even doing some independent investigation to see why they're moving. If If they need to move quickly, if they are reluctantly moving, if have they found a new place? Are they still looking for a new place? All of those things are going to help you understand what the the seller needs. You know, are they in financial distress or are they doing quite well? All of these things are going to help you put together a solution that um, works for them. So the more you know about the seller, the better your bargaining position is going to be, mm-hmm. and the better you're going to be able to do things that don't cost you anything that help but help the seller and will stand out to the seller. Maybe the seller is relocating to another city and they have to sell their property fast, yep. right? You know, the, and they they got another job somewhere and and you know they had to move immediately. Like it could be something where you just have to put it on the market and go. Yep. Um, you, you know, maybe you're going to offer up a different price than somebody that. Uh, you know, is is staying in the market and can move whenever they need to. Right, and timing is key. Or that also works. Maybe they have to sell it now, but they haven't quite found the other place. Mm-hmm. So maybe having flexible or longer uh, timeline could work. It all depends on the particular seller. And if you just blindly put an offer without knowing these things, you may put in an offer that just doesn't work for the seller, and it might have nothing to do with the price. So what about uh, a couple getting divorced? Right, so they're splitting up. Maybe it's not amicable. Um, the uh, The property is in a competitive market, but it's not going to go immediately. Mm-hmm. You want to put in a strong offer, but you know some other things about that that circumstance. Like, what what are some things that you might consult a client on? You might want to know. So, the tough thing is you won't be able to pay one spouse before you pay the other. But one, have they just found new places to live? Are they looking for a place close by? Um, knowing more about their timeline and their situation is going to help. Right. And as someone looking for property, if you're going around with your agent, are you, are, what are you allowed to ask? Like, can that be, can you ask the agent? Are they allowed to say that kind of stuff back to you or what? They can answer most of these types of questions for you. Um, they, 
may decline to give some personal information as a professional very well may. Right. Um, they don't have to answer all these questions for you. But in the age of the internet, you can certainly go out and take a look at um, the situation um, th- right. themselves. The easiest things to spot will be financial distress. If you're taking a look at the property um, and public records and you see that there are tax liens on there mm-hmm. or bankruptcy filings, then you know a little bit more about their position. Right. So, so doing some due diligence, whether or not it's a super hot market or not, is probably a, a, some good advice. Yes, certainly if you're thinking, um, whether you're thinking as a first-time home buyer needing to get into a property or an investor trying to find a good deal on a property, these are all tactics that you that you have available to you and just not taking, not investigating um, is just going to keep you in the dark. Right, right. So, okay, so once again, we're talking to uh, Rory Gill from Urban Village Legal and Next Home Title Town. And, you know, let's talk about a situation where, uh, you know, you're you're looking at a market um, you probably need to figure out if it's going to be a buyer's or seller's market before you go into the market mm-hmm. so you know where you are with the offer that you're going to make. Uh, how do you evaluate you know, whether or not you're strong or you're not? It, you have to take a cold, hard look at yourself to see if you're in a good position. You may have worked very hard to get yourself in a position where you can qualify for a mortgage or an FHA loan, um, and that's commendable, but you have to take an honest look at where that stands in the market. A low down payment in a very hot urban market may not be enough to convince a seller if uh, against competing offers that you're the one. So you need to understand what you can offer and what you can't. If you have a maximum budget, you, well, you can't offer more than that. You just don't have it to give. If you need to have a, a a loan with a very low down payment, well, that's what you have to, to use. You can't offer, again, what you don't have. Mm-hmm. But understand your position in the market. Understand what that means for you. And that'll tell you how much you have to compensate for any weaknesses that you have. But also, if you have strengths, if you have a, an unusually large down payment, if you have if you're in a rental right now that's month to month and you have lots of flexibility with your moving date, that's a strength. Understand your strengths too and where you can um, you know, where you can enter the negotiating position um, with a position of power. Right, meaning, you know, you don't need to be out August thirty first. Like right. you could be out whenever you want. So you might be able to say to the seller Hey, listen, like I want to buy your property. Um, I don't know if you're looking for your own property, but you know I'm very flexible with my close date. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to put in a flexible close date uh, in our offer uh, just in case you know you you need to stay an extra month or two. Right. But no, but even before you're looking at a particular property, just knowing that should give you some extra confidence in the market. Right. Okay. So you know, there's probably situations where let's say that multiple offers come in on a property, and one of them might be you know we deal with cash offers a lot here in Boston. You know, I mean, like there's just so much um, you know, so much competition that a cash offer often is going to win. But you know, let's say that you are a you know traditional uh, financing uh, buyer, you know, where you have a 30-year fixed loan uh, upcoming, you have a letter of approval up to a certain amount, and you want to offer. above asking, but a cash buyer comes in and says they're going to give $20,000 below asking. You know, those are two things that as a seller, you're going to have to evaluate, you know, a a bird in the hand or, you know. 
Right. So just remember why the seller is going to prefer the cash buyer. It has nothing to do with where the money comes from. When the closing happens, whether the money came from a loan or from the the checking account of the buyer, it doesn't matter. Why they like the cash buyer is just the confidence that they're going to close on time. There are less moving parts if there's no lender involved. So what can you do to compensate for that position? Get uh, get get letters of confidence from the lender. If you're working with a good loan officer, have the loan officer put in writing. Not Don't have them promise to something they can't promise, but have if there's anything they can say or do to give confidence to the seller or the listing agent, that's going to help you. Offering to speak, have the loan officer speak with the listing agent is something that can be done to, to strengthen your position and just give more confidence to the seller that you will be able to close on time. Right, because, I mean, you can get all these documents in the world, but, like, they're just – it's words on paper. You know, there could be circumstances where, you know, obviously the, the banks and the lenders can't give this – uh, these letters out if they're not you know intending to go forward with these loans, but anything can happen with financing, right? Right, and also take a look at which lender you're using. If you're using a loan, if you saw a commercial on TV and submitted just a quick online application, those lenders may not be as trusted in the market. It's not to say that they aren't good lenders in the end, mm-hmm. but local lenders or just lenders that have a good reputation in the area of foreclosing on time are going to give a lot more confidence to sellers than ones that don't. So if you're selling a property and someone is presented uh, and an offer is presented to you from a local lending establishment where the uh, the purchase price is uh, you know is exactly what you're looking for, uh, the loan terms look good, uh, the uh, the close date looks good, um, you know that's going to be a much stronger offer than somebody that maybe has the same price, but the terms aren't uh, favorable. Maybe the close date is pushed out another month, or maybe the actual uh, lender that they're working with doesn't have that much of a track record in the local market. Well, I'm talking about um, pre-approvals that might have the same exact terms, apples to apples. If the lender has a good reputation in the market, that's going to go far to giving uh, to strengthening your position with the seller. Right. Okay. So, uh, again, this is the Real Estate Law Podcast. Uh, we're talking about how to strengthen your offer for any property or uh, real estate that you might buy. Uh, you know, we're about to enter um, another, uh, what we think is another strong market here in the Northeast, at least in the cities. Uh, so, you know, the competition is going to be out there. You've been to open houses the past couple weekends, right? And the pace is picking up. Yeah. I mean, you've been to Saturday open houses. I've been to about 20 open houses in the past two weekends. Yeah, and so, you're seeing a lot of people at these open houses yeah. and yeah, at all different price points, right? Um, yes. Uh, that being said, as always, the, the mid-tier and lower price points are flooded with buyers right now. Right. The luxury points tend to move a little bit slower anyway, so you're seeing a little bit less traffic for the, the high-end homes. Okay, so let, let's talk about those where there is – a uh, higher level of competition. Okay, you're going to do an open house, and it's not unheard of to have 30 people show up at that mm-hmm. open house, right? Maybe you have three offers in hand, uh, you know, the following uh, that night or the following day. Um, you're evaluating the three offers, and then maybe you go. Do you do a last and final after all three, right? Perhaps. So you get ahead of that. If you know what you're looking for in the market, 
don't expect to have a lot of time to deliberate. So once you have your pre-approval letter, once you know what you want, once you see a place that fits that criteria and you want to put it offer, go right away. Mm-hmm. And beat the open house. If you see something listed early in the week, go ahead and make an offer or try to get a showing before the open house. Even if the listing says all offers will be considered on Monday, make the offer due the Friday beforehand. They right. have to present the offer to the seller regardless of what the instructions say. So if there are instructions that say, wait, and you know all offers will be considered on Tuesday, ignore it. Okay. So you know when you're submitting offers and you know if, if you're going to present it on that Tuesday, as you mentioned, what other things are going to differentiate your offer from the other offers that are on the table? We've already talked about the letter. We talked about the type of financing, right? You know, so whether it's an FHA loan, cash, local lender, what else can you do that 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 differentiates your offer from the other ones? So again, if you go back to understanding the seller's position, we've talked about um, the timing of the closing. Making it as flexible or as fast as possible to meet the seller's needs is, I think, the the most important thing you can do. And on that front, you also can come up. If it's fitting the seller's needs, a situation where you might close before the seller moves out, mm-hmm. that contains some risks of its own. But from the seller's point of view, that allows them a little bit of extra time. That allows them a better position when they go to buy a house because now they are they have more cash on hand, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be contingent on them selling their first house. But you're now a landlord. You are now a landlord for a brief period, and there are lots of risks you should understand and talk with your broker and your attorney about that. Um, But that's another way in a really competitive market to let yourself stand out. If you're willing to do that for the seller, then you might rise to the top of the stack. Right. Okay. Um, now, and we actually know people that that's, that you, you know, that's happened to them. Yep. And it, it has worked out, but you should understand the risks of that. Right. Um, what about contingencies? You know, when you're in a hot market, uh, you know, you hear of people waiving contingencies and, you know, it's like you're treading water in the ocean. I mean, you're out there and, you know, a lot of bad things could happen, but, you know, that might be in the, the situation that a lot of people are in these days. Right. Understand that every contingency you ask for, every inspection contingency, mortgage contingency, everything you ask for weakens your offer a little bit compared to the rest. Now, if you if you don't have the money to make any repairs, well, then you need the inspection contingency and you just you can't afford to make an offer without it. But understand that that contingency is weakening your position. But if you are in a position where you can trim back or limit the contingencies, do so. So with the inspection contingency, you can waive it all together. Or you could say that it's for informational purposes only, that you're not going to turn around and ask for lots of concessions from the seller um, as a result of the home inspection. That is a way to limit the contingency without waiving it all together. With the mortgage contingency, you can set tougher deadlines or you can waive it all together. If you are really confident in your own financing, you can waive the mortgage contingency and be treated like a cash buyer. That is very risky, right. but that's a way to rise to the top. And I have seen that done recently with people, but you have to be very confident in your own financing or even have a backup plan in case the loan falls apart. So what if that loan falls apart? Like what, what, is, what is at risk? Your deposit. Most deposits tend to be 5% of the purchase price. So if you put up a deposit and you're unable to close, um, that deposit is at stake. So you have to understand that risk. But again, in a really competitive market, waiving that 
you will, you will be treated pretty much like a cash buyer mm-hmm. um, from the seller's perspective. Um, but you are putting, you are trading the strengthened offer for the risk. Mm-hmm. We've we've been in a couple situations our, ourselves uh, with some property that we've bought and sold. That I, I think that you know understanding kind of what went into the offer or offers that we received, uh, you know I, I, I could see you know how it is important to kind of evaluate all different types of offers. Uh, I remember when we sold uh, the the condo, the first condo that I, I owned here in Boston, um, we had an over asking offer immediately after the open house, and uh, after two weeks. Uh, they did an inspection. They were suburban buyers. They weren't ready for an urban market, in our opinion. And they ended up backing out, right? Right. And they used the inspection contingency to back out using something that arguably didn't make sense. Right. But that is – so it, it just it goes to show from the seller's perspective that the, the added contingency is weak in the offer because there's more of a risk that you're not going to close. Right. And we, you know, we were kind of lulled into the over-asking, um, you know, price point that we got so we went with that offer and you know two weeks kind of went by and we had to put the property back on the market but we had a buyer immediately at at asking like right right away but you raise a good point there too so if you can't get rid of the inspection contingency altogether may give it a shorter time frame so you're not holding the seller's not risking having it being off two whole weeks while you deal with the home inspection have a five or seven day home inspection contingency so that way if you're going to use it the seller's been only off for a few days or a mm-hmm. week. Right. Um, now, also, you know, conversely, we have some vacation rental properties, which we've discussed on other uh, episodes of the Real Estate Law Podcast. And one of them in Provincetown, uh, we actually put the offer inside on scene. Yes. And I remember <laughs> that I remember that startling the listing agent uh, right. a little bit because he wasn't sure that we knew what we were doing but it goes to show we knew in the market what we were looking for we had studied the market we had gotten ourselves ready so that we would be in a position once we saw something that we liked to put in an offer right away with pretty limited contingencies and we were able to pull the trigger and we had some contingencies that would protect us in case it was a problem right exactly there was an inspection there was a inspection contingency on there so we could have backed out if we realized that it just wasn't right. But, you know, we did the inspection shortly after. Uh, I remember we put the offer in, then we went to go to, to look at it the next weekend, right? Right. So if that, that particular property went back on market. Mm-hmm. We put in an offer immediately after that, so they had no chance to get much in the way of other showings or open houses. So we had very little competition for right. our offer, and they had, the seller was forced into a position where they had to make a quick decision. And we actually, I think we got it for a good price because we got it under asking uh, in a really hot market, and Provincetown is super hot. And, you know, it was like we evaluated a bunch of different things. It was, it was about to enter the slower season on the Cape, you know, mm-hmm. so after the summertime, things cooled down a lot there. Uh, so we thought going in with the offer that we had, which was under asking and sight unseen, was super strong. In fact, I, I thought that was you know why they decided to go with us and not even do another open house. Yep. And it worked out. It worked and out. So do your homework. Understand the seller's position. We did some background looking into the, the seller there. Um, and get, just get yourself in a position where you can make that snap offer and be strong. Right. Now, the next thing on your list is a few more items that we're going to talk about uh, on this, uh, this episode uh, is personal letter. And, and our personal story there is we actually did that 
with a property in Boston, and it did not work out. Uh, which it was, you know, we probably didn't have a stronger offer around that letter, but uh, that was a good letter that I wrote. It was, and I'm putting this down as something that you should know and maybe add to your to your list. But I have mixed feelings about it. So sometimes a personal letter works if you understand the seller's pos- um, position and if you think there's, there might be sentimental value in the home. And in our case, there was, and the letter should have helped. It didn't, um, but um, it was worth the little bit of effort that went into it. Right. Um, I think I think if, if we had a couple a couple more dollars attached to the offer, that might have helped with that. Le- I, I bet you if the, if that offer uh, was you know close to or identical to the offer that they took, which was higher dollar wise, I bet that we probably could have gotten that property. Yep. Yeah, but that's okay. You know, I mean, like, it, it's it's the kind of thing with offering. If you realize that every offer you put out is accepted, then you're probably not offering low enough. That that's also true. <laughs> in um, in, in again, the personal letter. If you're buying it off of a big developer, I don't know if they'll be particularly no, impressed yeah. with the personal letter. Although a lot of developers actually would like testimonials. So if you can put yourself in a position to offer something like that. Yeah right. Yeah, they're not they're not immune to persuasion on on soft fronts too. Well, let, let's let me let me talk a little bit about pre construction also here in Boston. You know, there's a lot of development, especially in you know Southie, East Boston, uh, Cambridge. I mean, just everywhere in the city, Dorchester's a lot of development. Um, I could imagine that you might even be able to get a a good price if you go in pre construction way early with a strong offer because then the developer is showing interest in the project. They could probably use that to market the other units. They could probably use that to the bank in case they're having any financing issues saying, hey, listen, like I'm getting offers on this thing. Like they might even take a, a below offer or a below asking offer just to get a, cu- a couple units under agreement and start moving. Better than that, if you see a property that's under construction or under renovation, you know that it is likely going to be sold shortly. So even if it's not on the market, there's no harm in sending an unsolicited offer to the developer. They right. may well, they may very well entertain it, um, and by having an offer accepted, as Jason pointed out, that will help them in their future sales of the other units. Well, it's a lot to think about. Um, you know, once again, uh, Rory, a lot of great insight. You know, I feel as though uh, I've learned a few things on this, even though I thought I knew everything about how to put in strong offers right beforehand. Uh, But, you know, here we are with some great ideas. So I really appreciate uh, all of the information that you've given. Um, And why don't we just tell everyone where we could find you? I'm easy enough to find online at nexthometitletown.com or urbanvillagelegal.com. Okay. That's attorney and real estate broker Rory Gill. And my name is Jason Muth. And I'm one of the hosts of the Real Estate Law Podcast. Uh, You could find previous episodes on all of our podcast platforms, including Google Play and iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn and Spotify and all those great places that have lots of fantastic podcasts. And we do love podcasts. Um, But we haven't found too many real estate law podcasts out there, which is part of why we're doing this. So 
We do really appreciate your listening. If you can give us some feedback, feel free to reach out to Rory at urbanvillagelegal.com or nexthometitletown.com. Uh, or you can leave us a review in uh, whatever podcast platform you downloaded this from. So uh, that's it. So thanks again, Rory, and we'll see you next time. Great. Thank you. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts real estate council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.